Welcome to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation Podcast. In this episode, we answer our students' questions and share information about yoga therapy and meditation with the intention of creating a new paradigm in wellness. Today's episode is a recording taken directly from a live Q&A session with Breathing Deeply founder Brant Pasalakwa and students of our Yoga Therapy Foundations program. Our first question is, how can I move through family struggles with contemplation as a practice? I think, you know, one of the important things in terms of your practice is to not search for answers. Um, you know, the practice works upon your pranic patterns and your, your samskaras and your neuropathways, you know, all these things, you know, um, without that. So one of the things that I would just maybe point out from a yoga practice point of view is that, um, you know, the sutras or the teachings that's in the Bhagavad Gita too, but like you know, all actions, right, are going to produce like what they call seeds in yoga. And so it'll feel like maybe a better seed, like, it'll, it, you know what I mean? It'll seem like a positive, but really from like, you know, just from that point of view, it's like what you really want to do is to learn to stay still. Um, which you're clearly learning because you're like, I just realized I don't have to do any of it, right? Like I don't have to do anything, um, which is kind of a lesson. Um, and then, you know, you're kind of attempting to train your system, right? To be non-reactive. The greatest gift you can, you know, in terms of just like being people with families and like, you know, living our lives, you know, the, the great gift of yoga practice is understanding that things are not supposed to be a certain way. That our story around that is constructed often from a very young age, sometimes not, you know, like that's where it, like trauma comes in, right? And it constructs a new story or, but, you know, that's the gift of presence, which is that in this moment, at this time, in this place, this is what needs to happen. And so when it comes down to Christmas, like we all just did the holidays, we all have families, we're not, you know, but whatever our challenge is there, um, you know, it's a, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of going for freedom if you're a yogi, right? Like you're, that's your goal. And that has a lot of nuance to it. But part of that freedom, right, is understanding that there is only the thing you're doing right now. And it is very hard for us humans to do that, right? We are very conditioned um, and you are no exception, but I'm just sort of saying that as like, that's true for all of us, right? We're super conditioned. Um, and that's kind of why yoga was invented, you know, <laughs> to get us out of that conditioning so we can see things as they are. Um, I think, you know, one thing I wanna say based on your story is that you have to give it time you know, you seem to have made that is a remarkable amount of progress in a short period of time. So clearly you're doing something right because, you know, you're only talking 12 weeks from what you just said. 
you know, and although we don't study this well, we do study this, right? So just to put yourself, you know, when they do these mindfulness studies, they say improvements in various things, you know, at 12 to 16 weeks. That's what it begins. Um, so as someone who's been practicing for over 20 years, I will say that that is definitely just the beginning, you know? Mm -hmm. And still you see these improvements, like you see things as they are, it's like amazing. Like I find your story super inspiring for what it's worth. But I think you have to, you have to ask yourself who you are now. I mean, there's nothing, there's no wrong, right? And mm -hmm. you might want to do both. So clearly that's like a, like a therapeutic process for you. But I put that more in the mono, like you're, okay. you're, you're, you've clearly gained the ability to see things as they are. And now you are giving yourself time to contemplate that. So I'm not saying okay. don't do that, but in terms of yoga practice, I think I would, I would shift it or add to this or separate them. I mean, there's lots of options, but I think I would, I would, you know, asking yourself a more general question, like in that, you know, like, I mean, the most general question is who am I? Mm. you know that's the that's like the sort yeah. of classic contemplation because when you get the answer you're done so that's kind of fun um <laughs> you might not get the answer but um the the other part of that is you know am i you know am i you know using my energy or living my best life or using using my prana you know it's my attention directed where it needs to go like these like they're a little more present because mm. you want to allow your mind to absorb that kind of energy of um who you are now and you know allow that kind of to move so you don't get stuck it's really all about not getting stuck you know in terms of practice so you know you don't want to accidentally cement any stories when you're a meditator as you continue okay. this you're going to find out that your last story was wrong and the next story is wrong and the next story, like it's all it's all okay. stories right what are some alternatives to sukhasana or easy pose for holding for long periods of time um you know so you know bodies are different and not everybody's set up right to sit like cross-legged all day you know um period you know no matter how many like stretches you do oh, sure. okay because it takes the pressure right you're you're sitting you know back on your heels except it takes all the pressure off and they come in every size so i mean it literally took me and this will not be your case, hopefully, but like I've been through so many meditation benches and my uh, pursuit of comfort, you know, and this is this is an issue for everybody who sits for long periods of time. You know, the traditions, you know, you're doing these Kundalini practices that are, you know, handed down, you know, from Yogi Bhajan or I guess, right, who was very comfortable sitting in uh, Lotus. <laughs> Or whatever you know for 14 hours a day um that's not you and you know as a, as a kind of budding yoga therapist you should really take that in you know there's no point there's not it's not like there's something wrong with you i mean in fact from what i'm hearing you can sit that way you just can't sit that way for 45 minutes while doing kundalini doing like kabbalah bhati which is not a requirement for a happy human life so um, 
I honestly, I get a bench. The other thing I would say is um, you should change positions as often as possible. Um, this idea, the, the sitting part is derived from like basically doing long meditation practices. So if that's your goal, you, you gotta kind of wire that with the right thing. I mean, everybody I know, well, I will say, I've done this for years as a yoga therapist and I've worked with so many meditators who were injured, you know, and they couldn't kind of let go of their position. You know, they, they, they just like, they, they were so, you know, all these Buddhist meditators, they were just like so focused on being able to do that for like a, literally like a 10 day sit, right? Um, but most people can't do that. So, you know, I mean, we could get into the nitty gritty. I mean, if you were here and I could look at you structurally and maybe figure something out is like, if that was like your main goal in life, but it doesn't seem like it is. So um, I would switch between sitting in a chair and a bench and I would probably never sit that way again for a long period of time and keep your knees. I mean, that's, you know, um, and I don't avoid things, you know, like I believe in, you know, strengthening the system, you know, but um, there is an emphasis in, in the, in the kind of yoga world, right? Because it's yoga and because um, a lot of the, the bigger teachers were from certain parts of India who sat in certain ways, you know, that like, it's, it's important and it's not true. Like people have meditated all over the world in all sorts of positions. Um, so the other part is that, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what's true for you, but for most of us culturally, you know, if you don't wire the sitting on the floor all the time thing from an early age, it is, it is very hard to get there as, as an adult, you know, your, your system, like totally tends towards homeostasis and it, it doesn't like large amounts of train change. And the the older you get, the more important it is to keep the stability in the joints. And so if that isn't just like the easiest thing in the world for you, like you kind of should be doing it. I don't know if that's what you want to hear, but that's what I'm going to say. Like, don't worry about all the people sitting cross-legged. And the other thing you should know as someone who's done this forever and worked with all these people is half of them are in pain. Like it was new, I'm not, I mean, I haven't been doing it this, that long, but literally in 20 years, like when I started, like there was no discussion of being in pain. And so like my teacher, and there was like a couple kind of yoga therapy type teachers around who were like starting to talk about that, but that was only like 20 years ago. You know, everything else was like, sort of this like militaristic, like your guru taught you how to do it. And that's how we're all gonna sit and we're all gonna do it exactly the same way and don't complain, you know? And that's true in meditation schools too. You know, they're like, this is how you get enlightened, this seated position, because this is how that person did it, you know? How can I structure an asana sequence to strengthen muscle groups in a safe and balanced way? Here's the issue. You temporarily weaken a muscle you might want to remember that for your foundation's final because, you know, it might be on there for everyone. Um, you temporarily weaken a muscle when you stretch it for a longish period of time. So we're not talking about moving around, holding a stretch for, you know, 10 seconds. Like that's like all warm-up-y stuff, right? 
It just gets fluid and movement in there. We all do that. That's why everyone does cacao at the beginning, right? You're just kind of like moving around, right? But as soon as you hold that a little while, right? Those muscle spindle cells start getting chemical messengers and you are weaker. So, so if your goal, but it's not that you can't do things. It's that if your goal is to strengthen muscles, you have to move those muscles towards fatigue, not to, not to failure, but towards fatigue at a level that is, are challenging for them. So what happens is if you, if you stretch your hamstrings a whole bunch and then you hold a pose, now you've been doing yoga 20 years, I'm sure you can stretch your hamstrings all day and then do warrior three. I mean, it sounds like you've had like a pretty intense practice for 20 years, right? right. But you will not be able to do that sort of towards the maximum, right? You'll be stuck at like, I don't know, I'm not gonna put a number on it, but you know what I mean? Like whatever, 75% of your capacity. And if your goal, especially as a yoga therapist, is to strengthen a muscle group, then you're not really helping that person because they're never doing it to their full capability. It's the same reason why if you lift weights, if you're like a strength bodybuilder, right? You you do a set, like you do your bench presses. And then if you've ever been to a gym with a bunch of bodybuilders, then they look at themselves in the mirror for five minutes because they're waiting. They're waiting, right? Because if they do it before then, like because of all the processes and the muscles, they're not gonna be as strong and they won't be able to max again and their muscles won't grow. So it's, it's literally the same theory, just kind of <laughs> made smaller for yoga. It does not mean you can't stretch before you do something as like a human though, but you would be ill-advised, which now people seem to know, but like when I was a kid, nobody knew this. You don't stretch before you run. Right. And that's why it's like now you've weakened everything and you're asking it to like work super hard. And and all those endurance fibers that are supposed to work hard are now weakened, you know. So when you stretch, you get endorphins. Mm -hmm. So yoga feels good. So who's going to be the most popular yoga teacher? Like a the one that looks the best always because we like looking at her at ourselves like we like that. And then B, the person who makes everybody or enough people feel really good, like endorphin-wise. It doesn't mean that it's getting you to your true goals. It's why yoga, you have 33 million people in the US doing yoga regularly. I think that's the stat. But I don't think you have 33 million people like resistance training. Why? Because you don't feel, you might feel good over the long term, but like if I ask you to pick up like a hundred pound weight with your back muscles, you're not like, this is awesome. This is so... <laughs> Right, like I feel so good and happy. It's not really how it works. Mm -hmm. So, as a yoga therapist, you got to shift because you're trying to accomplish goals. And what I want to say is that's not exactly the same as yoga class, right? Right, right. Different set of goals in yoga class. But if you do it too much, if you if you stretch too much before strengthening, like so, what I see people getting injured all the time. I've been to a million yoga classes. Is their a yoga classes are too long? I'll just say it. They're just too long like asana classes are too long because, you know, an hour 15 is too long for most of the people in the room to do what they're asking them to do with integrity. So they're either too long or they're not set up right, right? So you've got people, it all goes pretty well, right? You warm up, you do some standing poses going pretty well, right? You're using your big muscles in your body. And then you do a bunch of other stuff. And then, and I'm sure you've taught classes this way because, you know, we all have because we've been doing this forever. And then you're like 55 minutes in 
and you're like, let's do a handstand or whatever you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And this person has already done like 45 chaturangas, side plank, you know, whatever, some sort of reverse, I don't know what you call that. I can't think of the name now, but whatever. They've used all those muscles over and over again and stretched them. And now you want them to do like the hardest thing they're gonna do all day. And they get hurt because they start compensating everywhere, right? Like that handstand should have been at like minute 20. So you could think of it that way. Like, where are my peak poses? Minute 55, you should be deep in your pranayama or something. Like if you're doing muscle strengthening activities, like nobody does muscle strengthening activities for an hour. It's a weird thing to do. So if you're doing a yoga class that involves a lot of muscle strengthening, it should all be way packed. It should be front loaded. How should I go about working with someone with a substance addiction who has relapsed? I'm a, I'm a, I'm on, I'm of two minds. Um, I've done both, you know. Um, you know, one mind is if someone's willing to do yoga and it's not a danger to themselves or you, then as long as you're not communicating that somehow that's gonna that's gonna um, negate, <laughs> right, the alcoholic. Uh, behaviors, um, you know, sort of like the way you teach a yoga class, you know, someone comes in and, you know, they're actively using, but you don't see any signs of that in the class, you'd probably let them stay, right? Right. So that's, that's one. And then your other possibility is, I'm not sure, it's to say that I'm not sure that practicing, if you, if you don't see it that as an option, then the other possibility is, you know, um, I'm not sure this is going to be helpful until you know you're not you're not actively using you know so those are your those are your I, I it, it, working with people I've I've made that judgment based on their behavior in the session um, and you know I've worked with lots and lots of particularly people who use heroin I've had a lot of experience and you know I've seen them go through cycles and there's some people that I've like kind of stuck with through the using cycle. Usually they disappear eventually, you know, cause it gets bad enough and then they like kind of sober up and reappear. But um, it's kind of a judgment call in that way. I don't know that I have like a, a pat answer. It is very hard to work with somebody who's using. I mean, but if there's some sort of benefit for them and you don't see any kind of downside for you, you know, I mean, sometimes people are coming because it's just their like one thing that they're able to do at that moment, you know, but, but so it's like more almost like a safety issue for you. Why do we focus on extending the exhalation in certain postures? Well, um, so if you want to build energy in general, you're going to focus on the inhalation. And if you're, if you want to calm the nervous system, right? Um, and sort of, yeah, I'm not gonna say have less energy, but you know, be, be, be more balanced in that way, right? You're gonna focus on the exhalation. Yeah, so you're gonna slow down the breath and you're gonna do it through the exhalation, not the inhalation. So um, do you know the, um, the terms Brahmana and Langana? Have you heard those terms? Do you know, have you heard that before? Yeah. So there's this concept of Brahmana and Langana, which is basically what we're talking about, which is Brahmana is um, more energy and expansion, and it's all based on inhale. 
So, you know, you could do a whole, so if someone's very depressed, if they have like clinical depression, you might do like a Brahmana practice, which is all expansions of inhale. So the more you inhale, right, the more energy you bring in, you can think of it that way, simple, right? The more invigorated you feel, that also turns on your sympathetic nervous system a little, which isn't a bad thing necessarily, but um, if you're about to imbalanced, what's often going on is you have some uh, little bit too much sympathetic response. And just from a more yoga point of view, right? You have all this like swirly energy. So you're trying to sort of calm that all down. And so what you want to do is a langana practice, which is all based on the exhale. Okay. So, um, and that exhale, you want it to be nice and smooth and long. And you, you see like in the pranayamas, that's how it is, right? Like you, you tell someone to inhale for six and then exhale for nine, right? Like, so you're slowing down the rate of the breath, but you're not saying inhale for nine. And exhale for sex, which is a very different feeling. So um, what I actually recommend is just to do that yourself. Double the inhale versus the exhale and then double, right? The exhale versus the inhale. So like, you know, work yourself up to breathing in for 12 and exhaling for six. I mean, I wouldn't recommend this in general, not as for to teach, but try that. And then in another sit, you know, inhale for six and, and work yourself up to exhaling for 12. And then you'll understand it forever, right? It's a completely different experience in terms of what you're left with. Both of them will focus the mind, like all yoga. We talk about this a lot here, like all yoga, right? If you take a bunch of people who are not doing well, it's generally better than doing nothing. Like that's what we've discovered through studies because they do all these studies and they don't even tell you what they did, right? They say, we took, we took 40 people, they did yoga, they were depressed, they were less depressed. We took 40 people, they did yoga, they were anxious, they were less anxious, we took 40 people. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. They were grieving, they, they felt better about their grief. Sure, but in general, like all that, all the, those inhales, right? And especially if you retain, like you inhale and you retain the breath, that's gonna make the mind move more. Um, and just for a little fun, this all comes from this concept of, so prana, like upwardly moving prana animates the mind. And so there's this word kumbhaka, which is like retaining the breath out. And the reason kumbhakas are super important in yoga, which is really purely focused on enlightenment from a theoretical point of view, is because when you retain the breath out, your mind gets less animated. Right? There's no energy to animate the mind. So the mind kind of like disappears and you're able to perceive other things. Um, so if you're about to imbalance, you have a lot of thoughts coming in. I should do this. I should do that. What about the laundry? Right? <laughs> Long exhale, hold the breath out. And those, those thoughts start to slow down. What does a balanced breath ratio count? Um, even breath is a really interesting thing. Like you'll, you'll hear me say this. I don't know. It's in the foundations course, honestly. I've said it so many times at this point, I don't know where it is, but um, the, even, I disagree with even ratio breath. Like I disagree. Like I think it's, I think even breath is more like six to eight, six and eight out. Like if you want to achieve balance, like this idea that you're breathing evenly, it's fine, but you're actually kind of pushing your breath more towards Brahmana. You're, you're, you know, to, to be able to do that. A natural breath has a longer exhale. So if you're thinking about it more like natural breathing, like what you'd want your body to do, like in an ideal world at rest, then we'll go, but in an ideal world at rest, you have longer breath cycles. Um, 
your body needs less movement and oxygen to achieve the like optimal oxygen CO2 ratio in your, in your system. So what that means is the thing you wanna work on is being able to breathe less per minute. And one way to do that is to just inhale a reasonable amount of time, we'll call it six, I mean, that could mean anything, but you know, an exhale eight or nine, that's gonna get you there really fast. That's gonna get you to probably what's optimal, which is breathing in the um, six breaths per minute. Right, and there's, there's people who study breathing like outside yoga who, who are really into this and that's what they end up concluding to, where you end up actually healthier you know, if you slow down that breath and you don't slow down the breath by, by increasing inhale, even though it's a little counterintuitive, but just take my word for it. It's not the best way for now. Take my word for it. <laughs> so um, if you're teaching a yoga class, like I would teach like a, I always just say, have your exhale be a little bit longer than your inhale. And that kind of allows people to like mess with their ratios themselves without sort of pinpointing like six to nine, six to eight, six to 10, because everyone's going to be different. And when people are sick or unhealthy, they breathe more and they their inhales become longer than their exhales. Thanks for listening to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing leaving a positive review, and sharing it with friends. For more information about our yoga therapy and meditation trainings and programs, visit breathingdeeply.com.